Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. Well, uh, it's a good thing we are recording this tonight, uh, which is Wednesday the 16th of September, and not uh, earlier, because some uh, some major announcements happened in college football today. You know, it's not every day that the entire universe of college football flips on itself, but, oh, wait, it, it might be. At this <laughs> point, <per> yeah. <laughs> Over the last couple months, it's, it seems like it. Aye, aye, aye. So we got, we got, we'll reach outside of our Rice and Conference USA bubble and, and talk through Big Ten news, Pac-12 recruiting, a lot of, st a lot of stuff going down. As always, we'll hit off the top. Please do go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. I looked earlier this afternoon, and we're up to a 4.7 stars on iTunes, which which feels pretty good. Stellar, yeah, yeah. And then uh, out of out of all of our podcasts that we put up so far, we lost track. Last week's show was actually our 50th show. So if you've stuck through, you've made it through 50, which is I don't know if it's more an impressive feat for you as a listener or for us who have been yapping. <laughs> But uh, but thanks. And uh, if you did enjoy it and you haven't had the chance to leave a review and you sat through 50 of them, then, uh, you know, that would be a nice thing to do. Kind of makes sense. If you're that committed, go all in. Certainly take a lot less time than the 50 shows you listen to. So absolutely. While you're listening to this, go pull up iTunes or whatever, wherever you find the podcast. I feel like it's just about everywhere at this point. And uh, go check it out. But yeah, the, uh, obviously the big news for the week is that the Big Ten has, uh, uh, not that the, we, we've seen this sort of building over, I don't know, I'd say it's about the last week where it's kind of seemed like it was really going to happen, but uh, the Big Ten has decided that they are going to play football after all. Hilariously enough, starting the exact same weekend that Rice is now scheduled to start playing, even though Rice has... Uh, not uh, has just been sort of kicking the can down the road instead of uh, canceling and uncanceling, but uh, all ends up at the same place, I guess. Yeah, the the beautiful mess that is this college football season, right? And I think I I I don't know if I'm surprised or or not. It's been it's been really weird following this in the news because I felt like we've had a contradictory tweet or story put out from various media outlets around the country just about every other day at this point. So. Yeah. It, you know, it's just felt all along with the big 10 in particular, like, I don't know the PAC 12. It just seemed like they made a decision and then they were like, all right, cool. See you later. And then, you know, we'll see a little bit more on them later, but there, there hasn't been a whole lot around that. Whereas the big 10, it was like, it was like they were more concerned with how they would be seen for canceling or not canceling or when they decided to cancel than they were with the actual decision itself. Yeah, well, and at this point, to my knowledge, there hasn't been a group of Pac-12 parents that have lawyered up against the conference and gone in March to the, I don't know, where, where protested out. Protested outside an empty office in San Francisco. Right. Got a bit ornery ex exploring options of what Nebraska trying to leave the conference and, and play a, uh, a non Big Ten schedule. Bring them back to the Big <laughs> It's been an odyssey. Some year this is going to be written down in a book. The year that the Big, big Ten quit. Slash a, whole, a whole lot of goofy posturing from basically every uh possible position you could take on this like uh there was a particular uh i believe it was a usa today columnist who i will not name on this podcast but uh wrote some column saying like this is the darkest day in the history of the conference because oh, they shaved and decided to become that. like the sec and value money overall and it's like first of all the big 10 was the first one to do a conference network which is all like if you think it's about selling out for the money. They did that a very long time ago. And second, really? Real? Like, you, you want to think about uh, the horrendous things that have happened in athletic programs at Big Ten member schools over the last decade, and you're going to say, this is the darkest day in conference history? Like, yikes. 
it might be the culmination of the strangest like six months in conference history. Oh, absolutely. That, that's very possible. It's one of those things that you did once they backed themselves into this hole, right? Like, how were they going to get out of it? Well, like, it's one of those things that they've said it, and I kind of, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to believe it till I see it. I kind of just feel like this is, this is another leaked report from a source. Did they have a vote? Did they not have a vote? We might never know. Yeah. But yeah, I think the, the most telling part and the part where it intersects really with, with Rice is they put together, you know, and we credited, you know, Carter, the Pac-12, when they released their cancellation notes, they put out a 15-page document with medical experts and everything cited out. They said, this is what we're doing. These these are the standards, protocols, X, Y, Z. The Big Ten actually put out, I'm not going to say a similar document. I hadn't read, gone through it a fine-tooth comb yet, but they basically spelled out their policies and what they're going to do and they talked about if somebody tests positive, it's a mandatory 21 days that they're out of competition, which is going to be crazy in an eight-week season. Yeah. But uh, definitely on the, the safe side. And the biggest thing they pointed to was the the rapid testing. And they said that they're going to be able to test everybody every day, 15-minute turnaround time. Which, if you scoot back, a I guess two episodes ago now, when we talked about Rice delaying their season... That was the silver bullet, so to speak, that they were hoping to get. And if the Big Ten has it or can get it, looks like uh, things might be looking up for ice. Yeah, and actually, and along those same lines, um, uh, Nick Saban had a press conference tonight, and he just said that uh, Alabama is now doing daily testing for all its players. So seems like if it's feasible for all those programs, it ought to be feasible for Rice too. And it's not like Rice as an institution has uh, spared any expense as far as testing the all the basically everyone that's on campus. So if I, I think we take this as I don't know, I felt like I was in a sort of a very pessimistic place last week after the uh, the additional postponements. But uh, well, you got to ride the roller coaster. That's part yeah, of this right. off season. But. This, you know, that having been Rice's kind of line in the sand, and then a week later you get an entire Power Five conference plus other schools saying that, you know, this is a huge reason we decided to play. Like, this is what we're doing. This is feasible for us. Like, seems like it'd be feasible for Rice, too. Yeah, and on that note, the Pac-12, actually, before the Big Ten had put out this news, they'd kind of talked about their their practice protocols because all of I can't say all, but many of these teams and conferences that said they weren't playing this fall were still holding some sort of workouts practices to, to some degree. Like they weren't yeah. just like sending the kids home or like, you know, go read the playbook and answer this multiple choice test, which, <laughs> oh, my goodness, I bet you they do that. Northwestern, I feel like they, they would do that right there. A test on the playbook. Pat Fitzgerald seems like that kind of guy. But <laughs> I digress. They've been ready and preparing, and the Pac-12 has kind of had something in place for a while, and a, a statement went out Wednesday night that I believe they have gotten clearance, at least from the state governments, that they can go ahead and, and resume practicing in, in California and Oregon. I know those were the kind of the hot-button uh, states that were, were wrestling with those things. So, of course, I'm sure there'll be more news coming, but, you know, the Pac-12 followed the Big Ten into this, and lo and behold, the Big Ten steps out, and the Pac-12 says, hey, we might be interested in starting back up again. So? It is, <laughs> you know, just when you think that the ride is over and you're pulling back into the, you know, the, the starting area for the next set of people to get on, uh, we we take another sharp right turn and head up another loop, and who knows where we're going from here? Well, just always remember when we got, what, South Alabama, Southern Miss, and what, App State Marshall, I think, is coming up. Some <laughs> some good G5 primetime games on four-letter networks and, and such. <laughs> for better or for worse. And it's been a mixed bag. And so, you know, maybe maybe we'll have more football to talk about. 
Oh, and then there was one thing with the Big Ten release that I kind of selfishly want every conference to steal because I think it's great. They said championship week in the Big Ten. Normally you'll pit. Oh, I did see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So normally you'll pit the top seed in one division against the top seed in the other, and, and that's it. The Big Ten says one's going to play one, two's going to play two, three's going to play three, and and so on and so forth. So you'll actually have one through 14, every team ranked in the Big Ten by virtue of those contests. contests. And shoot, if nobody else is playing championship weekend, why can't we do that with everybody every year? That would yeah, be fantastic. That would be amazing. Um, the real question is, uh, if you do that in CUSA this year, who gets left out on the West because they don't get oh. to match up with Old Dominion? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It, that's funny. You, and you see this with some of the... Tough luck, UTEP. <laughs> I, you see this... Well, I mean, are we doing it by, I guess, conference wins and losses or total wins and losses? Is it a ratio? <laughs> I don't know. Because, like, the, the SEC has done that, did that with, with baseball for a year, and, and Conference USA has done it with basketball, where, like, two teams, or baseball even, two teams don't make the field just to keep the numbers right. Yeah. So you're going to have a de facto 13th place team. Sorry, UTEP. <laughs> we know who it's going to be. Hey, I don't mean to call you out like this, but we all know. UTEP or UTEP, UTSA has already won a game. Barely, yeah. but it counts. <laughs> I guess UTEP too is this point, but anyhow, so yeah, so that's something I would love to see if the folks from Conference USA are listening to us. That's our recommendation. But one last semi rice related news in the midst of all of this. Among the, the myriad of things that, that were decided this week, the D1 Council, which is this infamous, infamous NCAA board that lords over all and has been at the center of all of this chaos in one way or another, has decided that uh, they're extending the recruiting dead period again, which I feel like is this is the fourth or the fifth time they've pushed it out. But they've pushed it out this time all the way to January 1st of 2021. But they didn't change the early signing period in that first week of, or I guess, second week of December, right? So that effectively means that there are no in-person visits allowed for student-athletes from, what, end of mid-February whenever, or mid-March, whenever this started through the end of the year. So. yeah. We're going to have kids signing scholarships and committing four to five years of their lives to universities that they have seen on a Zoom call. And that's it. Which is weird. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. But uh, yeah, so as we record, <laughs> Rice top five class in, in Conference USA, uh, you know, tracking with where they were last year, uh, recruiting wise and things are going pretty well for them all things considered so you know it'll be a different year but we'll see how it goes all right uh, and with that i think we are going to get into uh so we had been planning this segment for a couple of weeks and then crazy things just kept happening that took up all the time we had to discuss on the podcast uh but we are going to we have each compiled a list of uh what we believe are the 15 most important players on this Rice team for 2020. Uh, we have not consulted each other on these lists or even about the methodology used to make them. Uh, so That's the fun part. this should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, we're shooting in the dark. So uh, I guess that means where do we want to start? Do we want to start at uh, 15 each or, or read uh, a three at a time and debate? Yeah. All I put... I'll peel behind the curtain here. We have a, a, a doc with all of our show notes and uh, we've gotten through all our news and housekeeping and stuff. And the bottom, it just says top 15 and I wrote fight, fight, fight. <laughs> yeah, I, I could do uh, three at a time. Probably each sounds good. And then we can discuss the people in that group. Um, I feel like I'm going to need to explain my methodology at some point because there are going to be some surprising results, I think. Good. I like this. Yeah. Okay. So my number 15 is Javon Wolford. 
And then I cheated a bit and consolidated some lines. So there are lots of them where it's like one rank and two players on it. So tied at 13 are August <laughs> Pete and Kristen Mixravic. And my basic thinking is, okay, so the criteria I have here are like, it's some combination of three factors. One is just plain how good you are. Two is how irreplaceable you are. And that's both in terms of like, how high is the ceiling when you're in and how low is the floor when you're out. So some of that has to do with like how good your backup is basically. And then the third and most important factor, um, which leads to some of the weirdness in here, I think, is how much does the team need you to step up to like, like how important is you taking a step forward going to be for the success of this Rice team? And that, I think, kind of explains all three of these because the other four starters on the offensive line are kind of known quantities in guys that that have experience, uh, you know, have have, you know, maybe like haven't been the best all the time, but we we kind of know what we're getting and we we trust to get solid play. And Wolford is just kind of an unknown, you know, a, a grad transfer that's been brought in. And so it feels like if he performs well, then you'll have a pretty good group up front this season. Uh, and then with the wide receivers, they need a consistent outside presence to go along with Rosner, I think. And it's probably going to be one of these two guys. And so either one of them stepping up would, I think, make a huge difference in in the, the, the quality of targets they can get in the passing game. Okay, so I... I I had that same struggle that you did of how to how do you fit this list together, and my my biggest thought if if on the offensive line and and I'll, I'll go read mine my my fifteen fourteen thirteen here so fifteen is Charlie Mendez fourteen is Juma Otaviano and thirteen is Shea Baker my, my struggle with the offensive line is I, I think like the unit as a whole is is like what I think is good to could be great and i so javon wolf wolford i think could be move his way into man he's one of the best six players on the team like i could see it Uh, but i haven't yet and so that i was struggling between the what have i seen versus what have i had it so i probably went towards more proven production and just the fact that the offensive line as a whole like i don't know like if Jovan Wolford has an awesome season, but we don't nail down, you know, right guard or Clay Servin doesn't step up on the other side, then I don't know how much of an impact that has on the whole. So that was my my struggle. I had a real tough time with the offensive line as a whole. Yeah. So but I, that makes sense. And then the skill guys, I get it. Somebody has to step up. My, my skill guy in this bucket is Juma. And if he's healthy, which He's had plenty of time at this point. You know, we we talked about him in the offensive preview. He's a, he's a thousand yard back, easy in this offense for a team that wants to run the rock. So, I, I agree. You're going to have to find somebody else, uh, beyond Rosner and Trammell that does something, and it, it could be could be Juma. And then Charlie Mendez, the punter. I really, I had to put a specialist on, on this list and. <laughs> After watching Jack Fox, so Jack came on the show, won a starting punting job. If any other NFL hopefuls would like a, a shot, I'm just saying, he came on the show and he got named the starter like a week and a half later. <laughs> and uh, had a yeah, anybody on a practice squad <laughs> looking looking for an opportunity, you know, we got right, some guys. We're here for you. Let's ya. get them on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just watching Jack and Chris Barnes and Adam Nunez, we've been so spoiled by having such high caliber punting. And as much as, you know, the offense is the uncertainty, like if the defense is lights out, like they take that next step and the punting continues to be strong, the the defense, the offense doesn't have to get that much better. So I, I cut people that I wanted to put on the list because I had to put a punter on the list. Yeah, and I think it makes sense from a certain perspective, like, especially as slow as Rice tends to play, like, I don't know, if you have a bad possession, and you then follow it up with a terrible punt, and, you know, give up an easy score because you gave up great field position, uh, the effect of that is magnified, like, every possession becomes more important 
when you play at a slow tempo and if you give up terrible field position because field position is one of those things that I think a lot of people don't realize how big of an impact it has on football games. And so if you're playing at the tempo that Rice does and you have bad punting, especially considering like Rice's offense is like, I don't know, we hope it can get a lot better, but it hasn't been very good the last two years. So like, you know, if you don't have a very good offense and you're playing real slow, like you're going to need the punter to come through for you. Yeah, and full disclosure, this spot, it was very hard for me to decide between Mendez and, and Cam Riddle because <laughs> Jack did say he's the best long snapper in Conference USA, and we watched Austin yeah, P yeah. play a game with no long snappers. <laughs> I have yeah. never seen Giovanni Johnson or Mike Collins punt, but I don't want to. So that was 15, 14, 13. I'll go my next batch on the, the okay. Giovanni front so we can we can switch off. So 12, I had got Giovanni Johnson. Trey Schumann is 11, and Antonio Montero is 10. Uh, when I originally did this list and I jotted it down, I had Montero on there twice, and I was counting up, and I'm like, I have 15 names, but 16 spots. I'm so confused. So... <laughs> Wanted to make sure I didn't forget him. Uh, I'll start with Giovanni. This was the hardest player for me to rank on this list because one, he's either he could be the starting quarterback and then I'm way too low or uh, he could not play, which I would be too high and putting him on the list. But until I see Rice have one starting quarterback for an entire season, I feel pretty safe saying that he's going to have a role of some sort or another that that's going to be impactful. And then those two guys in the front seven, I really do think that the defense missed Trey Schumann when he was injured and, and knocked up most of last year. There just wasn't a pass rush. And what he's able to do from an intelligence standpoint of being where he needs to be and freeing guys up in the middle, like I think that's super valuable. And Antonio Montero is a top 15 linebacker in this conference, maybe top 10, and we don't talk about him because he plays next to Blaze. So. I like all of those guys. Yeah. All right. So this bin is probably going to be the most controversial of mine. And just to, to drum up the suspense, I'm going to go in reverse order. order so starting at 10. Uh, number 10, I have Zane Knight. Number 11, I have Treshawn Chamberlain. And number 12, I have Blaze Aldridge. Oh. And, and, and the idea behind that <laughs> is, is that, again, the most important factor that I had was how much do we need you to take a step, take a bigger role, get better as a player, something like that. We don't need anything like that from Blaze. And it's kind of the same thing with with Chamberlain, right? Like they've already we know what they can do. If they are exactly the same as they were last year, things will be great. Um, and then Blaze also doesn't get super high on the replaceability factor here because they're really deep at linebacker. And like like, yes, it's obviously a huge loss, like if he gets hurt or something, but it's not like the floor is going to drop out. Like they they will be able to get solid linebacker play, even if he's not there. And like, obviously, he scores very highly on the like, how good is he? Like, he's the best player on the team. And for that reason, like, it's probably extremely fair to say that this is a ludicrous selection for him. But <laughs> because of the way I I chose to like order importance here uh he 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 comes down the list a little bit and it's basically the same for for Treshawn. uh he's a little higher on the replaceability thing just because i don't think we have quite as many known quantities behind him at viper um but the basic reasoning for the same that's why the two of them are kind of together here um and then zay knife is on here because it's the same sort of thing as as Pete and McStravick where they need somebody else to step up at at receiver. But I think it's even more important for him because he adds something that nobody else on this offense adds and just that like game breaking speed. And like if he becomes a consistent presence where he can take the top off the defense and force safeties to, you know, stay back and respect his speed like that can warp the whole field and like have massive effects beyond just the plays where he touches the ball. And so I think he kind of uniquely from the other wide receivers, like 
is, is positioned to have a really outsized impact because of the speed. So this is really interesting because if you would have told me that neither of us would have a single repeat in 10 to 15. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either are like one through nine are like lockstep or one of us is crazy. And it might be both of us. There's a good yeah. chance on that. So <laughs> I, I understand where you're coming from on blaze. And honestly, I might've stopped listening to the other ones you listened after I heard his name. <laughs> down here. And, and I think, I think you could probably, you might for the same reason be able to argue that I've put Montero too high for the same rationale and, and the fact that he's a, a proven quantity and if he's as good as he's, his, he's been, we'll be fine. I, I think the difference for me with Blaze was, I think it is a going from a great to elite. So, spoiler alert, he's higher on my list. And we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to him. Zayn Knipe, I reworking seeing your your thought process put out onto paper now. I'm just like, "Man, you're right." <laughs> like, if if he misses and he's not great and he's he finds a role but he doesn't change the offense, like Rice is going to be fine. They have other guys, but if he hits, you're talking about this two or three most impactful pieces right. on the field this year for Rice. Yeah, it just makes it, if he turns out to be a really great player, like it, it, it warps the whole field. Like it, so, it changes the geometry of the defense. So now I need to put this. I need to weight this likelihood of breaking out times athletic ability time. Yeah. Put it all together. We need a quotient, a number. What's my numerator? There's math yeah. involved. We're not getting there. I did not do any math. There were no uh no analytics involved in this, but uh <laughs> I, all right, so, I I guess you could say I had some weighted factors. Right. So but Blaze, Zane, and then the other one was uh Treshawn Chamberlain. Treshawn Chamberlain. He's he's a stud. That's it. That's yeah. that's my entire take. I'm close to you on on him, so I'm curious. I don't know if we're going to start going echo chamber here, or you've completely left somebody else off your list, <laughs> or I have. Okay, Miss so then, yes, seven, eight, and nine for me. Uh, nine, I have Treshawn Devones, and tied in the seven slot, I have Trey Schumann and Kenneth Orgy. Orgy and Schumann are together because... One of the biggest things that the defense needs is a pass rush. Maybe the biggest thing. And while we would all love it if DeBraylon Carroll could provide enough interior pass rush to just wreck everything on his own, uh, they definitely need an increased like edge rush from what they had last year. And most yeah. likely, if that happens, it's going to come from one of these two guys. So that's why they're together. And then Treshawn is... Another guy who's very proven on his own, I, I think one that we have a lot of trust in to perform well, he's pretty high on here because one, uh, I don't know, just the, the, you know, if he goes out, who steps up behind him? Like there is, there is very, like you start to be probably a freshman. Yeah. With, with Tyra Thornton gone, like suddenly corner depth is like very, very shaky. And if you lose your best corner, that's that's a big drop off. Yes, um, and I had I had Treshawn and I had Orgy as my I have a pretty extensive honorable mention list. They were at the top of my honorable mention list. So you you rejumble re those back up, and yeah, I'm I'm right there. Like Treshawn Devones, at least we're talking. I mean, talented enough to start as a true freshman. Like right. if he was that good and. I only can remember the Middle Tennessee play where he stumbled and the guy took off for that big touchdown run. But beyond that, he was he was great. We didn't hear his name called because nobody got behind him. So, yeah, now that you mention it, if if Rice has to play games without him for any reason, that gets dicey real fast. And it might be good. Like, we'll be rolling the dice. Maybe we could hit the lottery. 
Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, hopefully we don't. So, I get that. The sack potential, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. So, that brings me, I have a, a trio that we've hit on a little bit. So, we're, we're getting closer, but we don't have a ton of overlap yet. <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. Um, so my my nine, I got Austin Trammell. Eight, Treshawn Chamberlain. Seven, Brad Rosner. So Trammell was a guy that I had, had difficulty ranking because, you know, we talked about the corner depth being not there. The receiver depth, it's not proven, but I think there's some guys that could do what he does, not to the degree that he does it, especially on his ability to, to break free and, and wiggle in space on the inside is is fantastic. But like Jake Bailey could step up and do that. Like, yeah, I feel like they could find a guy to do that. But you're talking about like one of the voices in the locker room. I think it was pretty telling when Rice released their statement. That which which one was this? I don't I'm losing track of the we're not starting <laughs> the season yet. I think it was the delayed practice statement. They had a quote from uh, Carl Gard on there, the athletic director, you kind of have to, but they also included Austin and they had his comments on, you know, they're doing the best to keep us safe and we're ready whenever we can. I think that was pretty telling that, you know, you can't quantify the leadership piece, but he's one of the heartbeats of the team. And so for that reason, he's way too low, but. And he's really good at football. So there's that piece. Uh, Brad Rosner, dude just makes plays. Yeah. Like, we talked about, like, Knipe and, you know, will he, won't he? We don't know. We hope so. Like, Rosner is that consistent piece, and and he's great. And I'm, I'm super, super content with whenever he's on the field. I'm I'm good. And then Treshawn Chamberlain, we've already hit on. But, you know, you talk about a, a secondary that, is pretty pretty strong, or at least was before we had the the corner vacancy. But as a whole, this is a guy that can do just about everything. I I remember you did a film room on. It wasn't on him, but it maybe was the breaking down the Marshall game where he had a a, a couple prominent plays, mm-hmm. and you broke down three different plays and like here's him at the line of scrimmage, here's him playing deep safety, here's him covering up a wide receiver on the slot. Yeah. <laughs> This dude can do everything. Right. Can we have seven of you? <laughs> so this was pretty much the line. Once I get to like the top nine, I was just like, I feel like I could make a case of all of you for like three through nine. And I don't feel like there's much separating them. Yeah, I, I actually so I, I, you know, looking at the list now, I actually don't have Trammel or Rosner on there at all. And I, I feel like I should have Trammel like kicked, for the, leader, kicked the off leadership the team captain. I did. Yeah. <laughs> like for the leadership, if nothing else, like, you know, part of it's the, the you know, the same reason I had Blaze and, and Chamberlain low is just that, you know, they're proven commodities. We don't need them to like get better. And then feeling like there are enough people at wide receiver that somebody could step up if you lost them. But like, I don't know if I were remaking this list. Yeah. yeah. Trammell would for sure be on it. I'm with you there. The the caveat I, I put it wide receiver is. We we were talking, we were saying that same thing last year that, you know, Rosner did step up like we had Aaron Cephas depart right. and we're like, we need somebody. So Rosner did. But, you know, he had like the Wake Forest game, the Baylor game in the beginning of the year. Like we knew in the first three games, we're like, OK, this guy's going to be good. Like we didn't know great, maybe yeah. but we're like he's going to be good. And Trammell was always consistent. But we went from game three to game 12 saying you know man i really wish somebody else would step right. up and, and yeah. they didn't and i know we have a new cast of characters but un- until somebody does i that that's the thing maybe i'm maybe i'm overly uh cautious with with who does but yeah that i again i i don't know why we randomly decided 15 maybe because that seemed more doable than 20 but now i'm at my 15 and i'm like yeah we could have done 20. We'll yeah. do an aggregate <laughs> score and then people can get mad at us individually and together. <laughs> uh, okay, so then my number six was Juma. And then at four and five, I actually have uh, Andrew Bird and Jason White. Uh, 
So Juma is 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 pretty obvious, I think. I think he's been the most talented back on the roster the last two years. And, you know, he I, I think he kind of has the importance for him is really high because, you know, we said this before, but as much as we made about potential running back depth and we thought there was going to be this deep rotation maybe in each of the last two seasons, and then both times it just ended up being whichever Walter twin was there. <laughs> so... There's a real possibility that you get to where you kind of are are leaning on a lead back here, and and you would certainly like him to be that guy. And if he can't, you know, he also scores high on the step up factor, not because he needs to like get better, but because he needs to stay healthy. Um, and if he doesn't stay healthy, like I don't know, there's some very talented freshmen on this roster. Like I know we think Kalen Griffin's going to be a star, and you know, Jawan King is promising and stuff like that, but. There is no proven commodity. If, if Juma is hurt, we have no, like, is there anybody that has taken a collegiate snap other than like Cam Montgomery, but he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to carry it between the tackles 10 times a game. Like, yeah, I think it was interesting because, because when I'm, I'm thinking through this as well, I kind of put a somewhat of a, maybe a stronger weighting on, does it have to be this guy? And that's probably why Juma was a little bit lower for me because we've seen him like the game he had against Old Dominion, which feels like 300 years ago now. Yeah, but the record setting, I don't remember what he finished, like 200 some odd rushing yards and a couple touchdowns and a couple 60 plus yard runs. Like it was it was elite, but it was one game. And other than that. He's been knocked up like I don't think we've seen good Juma yet. And so I'm not saying like I, I think like obviously he's going to get the first crack and I think he has the best shot. But is is the shot of Juma breaking out and becoming the top dog at running back for the season infinitely greater than someone like Kalen Griffin or Joan King? Like that's the part that I that put me lower on the list that I wasn't sure about. Like I yeah. think he probably, you know, like there's a. 40 to 50 percent chance that he's the guy but is there like a 25 to 30 percent chance it's Juwan king like yeah <laughs> so that that knocked him down for me but i don't disagree yeah. with the talent and the need if he's going to be the guy and he steps up you know right the intellectual and, brutality works you can pound <laughs> the rock right like and, and, and as much as like this is higher than i would place a running back for most college football teams but as much as this team wants to run the ball, like, you know, we'll see if that that sort of dials back a little bit. We don't know what quite what the offense is going to look like. But as much as, you know, Bloom wants this team to kind of be a traditional pound the rock team a lot of the game, like. You need a running back to do that. And well, if it's not Juma, then it's somebody who hasn't taken a collegiate carry before. And to be fair. It, you're coming from the school of which Heisman caliber five-star running back can we put into the NFL as your, your other <laughs> frame of reference. So at that point, you can just kind of plug and play it. It doesn't really matter. I don't think Rice is there yet, but no. <laughs> I would be open to it. That would be fun. Uh, and, and so the other two here, I have uh, uh, Burden White. Uh, again, you know, a lot of this is, is, is you know, pay, copy and paste from what I said about about Trishon, but like you, the corner depth is really, really thin. And as much as Rice plays different personnel packages and they use the Viper position and stuff like that, you know, they might play a third corner less than a lot of teams do, less than most teams do, maybe. But uh, you can't get away with having less than two corners. And so one of these guys needs to be a starting caliber corner on the outside. And if they're not, you know, that's that's bad because, you know, even if 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 DeBones is great, if, it, you know, if he's locked down his side of the field, well, he can't defend the other side of the field. Uh, you know, it, so if you have one corner that's like a massive weak link, especially as much as this defense likes to play really aggressive man coverage, uh, that's a problem. That's a big problem. And so this this one is one where it's all on the the uh, how important is it for you to step up factor? Because 
if one of these guys, you know, if if we're constantly swapping back and forth between them because we can't get consistent play and, I don't know, one's hurt and the other isn't performing well, that is very bad. That's very, very bad. And so you you desperately need one of these guys to really lock down that job and be a starting quality corner or else yeah, that I mean, could compromise a lot of what Rice's defense does. And let's not be doomsday here, but man, it, if we get to that point in the season where, you know, Treshawn Devones is, is not in a game for, for one, or we we have a revolving door and, and nobody is able to step up. Maybe they're like, okay, but not elite. At the end of the corner spot, like as good as the pass rush is and as good as the front seven is. And yeah, you're talking about a defense that could, like that's going to take a defense that could be top three in the conference to seventh or eighth. And at that point, like your advantage is not gone, but it's pretty, pretty muted. Now we're right. talking about like the difference in a couple games of win loss. Yeah, it, it, it really lowers the ceiling for a defense for for this style of defense, especially uh, if you have that weak link that teams can say, well, we can't run, we can't throw on the other guy, but, you know, we have two receivers that can run like lightning and we'll just put one of them on this guy who can't cover and throw behind him all game. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I think one of these guys, or between the two of them, you're going to get good enough play that it's not going to compromise the defense. But it's really, 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 really important that you get that caliber of play. Yeah, and, and given what we've seen from Brian Smith's defense so far, like I, I'm, I'm really not too concerned that we're going to have that issue where you have a, a faulty corner and somebody's just streaking out behind him. But I am curious as, as what that does with, you know, one of the things that I think makes this defense so challenging to stop is they can do so many things. And you can have Treshawn Chamberlain, you know, like we talked about, line up in 14 different places when there's only 11 positions on the field. Like, but if you know you got a shade to that side of the field and you need safety help at all times, that's the kind of stuff that pre- prevents you from doing things that help you get more creative and get more pressure on the quarterback and do a lot of things. So that's probably the more more telling part that we'd see. Hopefully we don't. And this is really interesting now because I don't have either of those guys on my list. Yeah. Which I I think we need now now i'm i'm deciding that there's a a third list <laughs> that exists of a general pos- position group consensus and for me to pick like i think at fourth i want to pick whoever the corner is out on the opposite side of Treshawn Devones for most of the season yeah that's who i that's who i want to pick but neither of those guys so that was your your 654 so Again, we're through the bottom seven through 15, and we've had, well, we've both had Chamberlain, we've both had Schumann, and is that it? Uh, just about, yeah. Juma. Juma, okay. So we, we've matched three of the top eight, <laughs> which is, this is good. So that's that's a lot of different players. So everybody is important. So my four, five, six, or my my six, five, four, uh, George Nyqual is six. He was a guy that he kind of falls into that that blaze bucket of how you were discussing your rankings earlier. I don't think his his high end. He's not blaze talented because I, I truly believe blaze is elite. But right. George is just so good. Uh, we have we have a, a good amount of depth. Rice does as safety so he was very difficult to place because I feel like if he's not on the field and you're throwing a lot more uh, you know Prudy Calderon or Treshawn's playing a little bit more true safety or you're bringing in um, you know one of the younger guys I'm not too concerned so at that point maybe he's too high but again he's you go to leadership like he's a quiet guy but he's, he's pretty important to to the locker room on that front and then five Jordan Myers he he's the jack of all trades, except that's always like a, oh, you're fine term. Like he's actually great at everything. <laughs> like he can run, he can catch, he can block, he can play special teams, he can return punts. Like this is going to be a guy, if we're talking about people stepping up, 
you know, he's going to be a four or five touchdown guy this year, I think, in a, I don't know how many games we're going to play, like seven, eight, something like that. He has the potential to be a guy who's scoring all the time because I really do think they're going to use him a lot more, and I think he's that good. And then four, uh, he has not hit your list yet, but Clay Servin, I think, he checks a lot of those boxes of, I think he's really good. I think he has the NFL kind of measurables that you want in an offensive tackle. I don't think we've seen that yet from him. I think we've seen very good. I don't think we've seen elite, and I think he can be. And I think if he is elite, kind of what we're talking about with Jovan Wolford at the beginning of this list, then all of a sudden, they had ability to pound the rock, especially with how good I feel about the interior of the line and the ability of the quarterback to stay upright, whoever that is. It, it's huge. So big on Clay Servin. If if he takes that next step, that's we're talking about what the offense needs to break through. That's kind of a deal breaker for me. I uh I don't have any of those three guys on this list. This is, is insanity. Yeah. We uh, effectively so for the record, if we've overlapped on three, right? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. We each did a top fifteen. There are only 22, well, I guess if you count kicker and punter, there's only 24 starters. (laughs) So who's the most important? Everyone on the team. Yeah, literally everyone. This is Um, good. All right, so who's your three? George is one I think. Oh, no. Yeah, hit on George. Yeah, like, that's one in particular. Like, I do think they have good depth at safety, which is probably why he wasn't someone that really came to mind when I was making this. But I I think he's one of those guys that, People underestimate the importance of having a really talented, really smart, really rangy free safety type, which he is. Um, Because those guys, a lot of times, because they're playing so deep and they don't, you know, get their hands on the ball. They don't, you know, get the flashy pass breakups. They're not making the tackles in the run game. People kind of forget about them a little bit. But they don't understand. Like, those guys are erasers. Like, they... You know, they keep quarterback, they they destroy whole parts of the field where the quarterback just isn't going anywhere near them. They make up for mistakes that the cornerbacks make that you never even know about. Like, yeah, everybody's the guy that you don't notice because things aren't breaking down on the back end. Yeah, it's the defensive back equivalent of the long snapper. You only know him if he does something terribly wrong. And if he if you never hear his name, that usually means he's doing something right. Um, Like if you think about the. Everybody knows the the Legion of Boom, the you know the mid 2010s Seattle Seahawks secondary. Everyone's like, oh, Richard Sherman, he was so good. Cam Chancellor, he was so good. The reason that defense, that secondary, worked as well as it did, they did not do anything fancy. They played plain cover three, what what Nick Saban would call country cover three, which is the oldest defense, oldest coverage in football, the the most basic thing you can do. And the reason it worked that well was because prime Earl Thomas was back there just erasing the entire middle of the field so that no NFL quarterback would ever throw near him. That's how important that safety type is. And it's just something that doesn't get a lot of attention because because it's just not the thing you notice. Because, you know, when the guy does his job right, you don't doesn't draw any attention to himself. Yeah, and we talk about a defense that has kind of matured over time. We're still, even even in year three with with Brian Smith, you're talking about one of the only true senior guys that's lived there and done there, done it the entire time and been on the field that's not been hurt and has actually had the game reps. At this point, you know, we talk about the projectability of what we want to see from from guys uh, like you know Treshawn Devones, Antonio Montero has been like good, but like if we're talking about somebody who's literally been there and done that, and I have zero concerns whatsoever. That's George Nyquil. He's yep. gonna be great. All right. So then my number three was DeBraylon Carroll. Hey, hey, hey. We agree <laughs> on the number. I have to bring Carroll number three. Ding, uh, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So let's camp I, out on him. Yeah. Like we'll obviously agree on like uh, interior pressure from a, from a defensive line 
can just wreck everything an offense wants to do. Like the quarterback can't throw if the center is being shoved back into his face. Did the you running see... back can't go anywhere if he's got the guard planted back into him the moment he gets the handoff. Like it's so disruptive and so important to have that wrecking ball in the middle. And he's also high on, you know, what I think of as the replaceability factor, because I don't think Rice has anyone else on the interior that can do that, at least not to anywhere near the degree that he will. No, they don't. We talked about the interior depth on the defensive line when we went through the the preview for that section. And I just want to say when I was I was pulling this up. So like we're talking about off air, we had this idea like two or three, four weeks ago. And then I wrote down my list and then I put it somewhere and I didn't look at it for three weeks and then had to (laughs) actually, you know, dust it off and relook at it and and as i was reviewing this i thought there was a play that that kind of went viral from uh, the sunday night football game this past weekend between the cowboys and, and the rams and aaron donald gets off the line of scrimmage and just dominoes the entire left side i guess, well <laughs> right side from the camera but the entire right side of the dallas defensive line takes the center into the guard who you know pushes back and and moves the tackle off the space and i just saw that and you know, I'm trying to think, you know, Aaron Donald is elite, elite, elite and underrated because he plays that position. But if I think of guys on the current Rice roster right now that I've heard Rice coaches compared to NFL players. I'm actually trying to think of somebody else. Like when he when when he was brought in, the words Aaron Donald were spoken and said, you know, not to put that on him and say he has to be, but he could be DeBraylin Carroll in this conference. And if he's DeBraylin Carroll in this conference, he should be number one, hands down. And if he's not, you know, three might be the floor. Yeah. And it's also like he also is is high on that um on the 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 sort of step up factor here not because we don't know how good he is or because we don't we don't think he's going to be great like we have every confidence that he's going to be fantastic but he does need to take a bigger role like we expect him to be a starter we expect him to be you know few defensive linemen or every down guys but you know it makes a huge difference if he's playing 60 to 70 percent of the snaps instead of 20 to 30 percent of the snaps like, I, and I, I don't know, I, that's just a number I made up. I don't actually know what his snap count was like last year, but it's an enormous difference if he can up that volume of plays and still keep the same sort of havoc rate, as Bill Connolly would say it. Like, Oh, yeah. It, it, it's a massive difference to take that production and turn it from a rotational role to a starter role. It's huge. Yeah, and we're talking about a defense that is returning... I don't know what the numbers are now, but the vast majority of everybody who played all the snaps last year. And the only reason DeBraylin Carroll wasn't on the field 75, 80% of the time was because he was sitting behind Miles Adams, who is on an NFL roster right now. <laughs> he's on the practice squad with the Carolina Panthers. Like he's yeah. an NFL caliber player. And that's what it took to keep DeBraylin Carroll off the field. And there are, you know, LSU's going to find this out the hard way. It's going to be really interesting watching them when they start up again. But the number of programs in this country that can replace an NFL player with an NFL player, like the the elites, like Ohio State, can do that most of the time. But not all the time. <laughs> and at the Conference USA yeah. level, you can't do that. So if you're telling me we could send a defensive tackle off to the pros and have a pro-caliber defensive tackle whose ceiling might be higher than Miles Adams, which is all crazy saying that he's in the league right now. Like, I'm so excited. He's he's probably the player I'm most excited to watch. Right. Yeah, I agree. All right. So then who's your number two? Because I know we didn't agree on number two. My my one and two are are a line item. So let's do your number two first. Okay. so my number two is Blaze Aldridge. Yeah, this is the this is the part where if you could see me, I'm, I'm doing the shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> understandable Under, i will accept that i will accept your, that your rationale i had, I had is, him too low. solid and, and i accept that but uh he's so good man yeah so that's two and your number one and two i'm gonna spitball and say you you not cheated but you put uh both of the quarterbacks at the yeah. top yeah because it just like i mean we saw it last year 
the defense was great. They got production at a lot of different spots. But until you get passable quarterback play, none of it matters. It it just, even at this level, even on a team that wants to run the ball a lot, the position has just such a wildly outsized impact on how good your football team is that the difference between these guys playing at, you know, a 25th percentile level among conference quarterbacks or a 50th percentile or a 75th or higher will completely change the fortunes of this squad more than, than any other position. And it, like, I, I think that was the genesis of me having a lot of the players as kind of a blank or blank on here, because when I started the list, I started at number one and I was like, it has to be a quarterback, but I have no idea which one it's going to be. And I can't like, so I, I, I had to put them on the same level because it has to be one of them. And it doesn't really matter which one it is. Oh, it doesn't. You just have to have one of them. See, and I think this is really interesting because so, yes, my number one is, is Mike Collins because I, I just went ahead and, and chewed and made a decision that could yeah. be wrong. Like I said, you could you could flip flop. If Giovanni wins the job, then Mike Collins is probably not all that important if Giovanni plays the whole season. I would so for that. I don't care. I want one guy. That's yeah. that's my dream. Um, but if you look, and we haven't hit too much on, on everything going around Conference USA on the field because there's been so much off of it, but this week, Charlotte quarterback Chris Reynolds, he is hurt and out for a while. UAB quarterback Tyler Johnston is hurt and out for a while. Mm-hmm. FAU, you know, Chris Robeson was, you know, my pick for the Conference USA uh, first team on on my preseason preview. You have Jake Jack Abraham at Southern Miss, who is now with a new head coach and everything changing there. Who knows what that's going to look like? Asher O'Hara, they got they looked awful against Army, and Army's offense is awesome if like you can either defend that or you can't but their defense is not that lights out like to get smeared like what was it 42 49 and nothing yeah you know that was a disaster that was a bad look for asher o'hara you know marshall has a brand new quarterback western kentucky brand new louisiana tech brand new fiu brand new north texas brand new <laughs> you're going well, to something list. like now like with tyler johnston out isn't it like there's like two or three CUSA schools that are playing that return their that are currently using their primary quarterback from last year? Oh, I need to Eric Henry from Underdog Dynasty. I put something and, and he retweeted and found it. it is 11 of 13 teams have are returning different quarterbacks to replace yeah, their that's, primary. That's what starters. I was thinking of. So Asher O'Hara and and Southern Miss. Yeah. Ash O'Hara and and Southern Miss uh, Jack Abraham they're the only two returning starters and they're they're I think from watching what we've seen this year and over the course last year I think they're both good to really good they're not elite so if you're telling me that 11 of the 13 playing teams well 10 of the non-rice playing teams have brand new quarterbacks and injuries and uncertain situations then if you get you know, we were talking about what percentile great performer do you need if you get somebody who is like solidly really good, solid really good might be the third best quarterback in this conference. Yeah, like I don't, I, I don't think we like need to spend a ton of time on the quarterbacks here because we've talked about it ad nauseum on other podcasts. But like, you know, if we've said this before, like if you could just get the level that you got out of. Tom Stewart in the the three wins last year. If you got that over the course of a season, like that average, basically, I don't know. That probably puts you top five in this conference, given the lack of experience returning somewhere around there. Like that might be even more like, you know, with that level of quarterback play, Rice won three straight games last year. And if you got that this year, maybe that's good enough to win the West. Like, yeah, like the bar is not super high here. It's not like you have to have and it keeps getting lower. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. Yeah. So, so, OK, so I will ask you this. So I'll let me we'll just go read through our lists first. 
from uh I'll go I'll go I'll go bottom to top. So I got Charlie Mendez, Juma Otaviano, Shea Baker, Giovanni Johnson, Trey Schumann, Antonio Montero at ten, Austin Trammell, Treshawn Chamberlain, Brad Rosner, George Nyqual. Five is Jordan Myers, Clay Servin, Debraylen Carroll, Blaze Aldridge, and Mike Collins. Uh, so just players appearing on both lists. We had seven players in common. Overlapped. Okay, so who is yeah. who is the one player that is off your list that you missed? Mine is uh, Treshawn Devones. He was my 16th honorable mention, but he probably could be fifth. Yeah. Uh, mine is either Trammell or Nyakwal. Probably if I had to pick one of the two, I would say Nyakwal. Um, just because, like, in terms of in pure on-field production, I think Rice has more reasonable substitutes for Trammell than they do for Nyakwal. You could also just say, I had Blaze Aldridge too low as, like, the equivalent to I left this guy off. But... <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Okay, so give us give us your top fifteen just so we have it in one place. Yeah. So fifteen was Javon Wolford, uh, tied at thirteen. Pete and McStravick, uh, twelve Aldridge, eleven Chamberlain, ten Knight, nine Devones. Tied at seven Schumann and Orgy, six Odoviano, uh, tied at four uh, Bird and White, three Carroll, and tied at first Collins and Johnson. Okay, so just. A quick scroll through my potential written before the pandemic depth chart. Uh, we're missing Brendan Suckley, Isaac oh, Clark. How could we not have a full pack on here? We this, failed. We're sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> Brendan Suckley, Isaac Clarkowski, Cole Garcia, Elijah Garcia, and Naeem Smith. So what was that? Five? We, we between the two yeah. of us, we named all but five starters, and I think probably safe to say all five of those guys, like we are feel pretty they're, they're going to be solid. <laughs> but I mean, just like those are, I'm, I'm not like Elijah Garcia. It like, turns out, uh, in be... our in our opinion, this is very controversial. I realize, but in our opinion, starters are important. This is That's true. The conclusion here. <laughs> so if if you well, actually, I. I had Tyree Thornton still on there, so if you bump up Andrew Bird, then I guess we've we've hit just about all of them. We yeah, we yeah. don't have any spicy hot Isaiah Floyd takes. Ooh, that would have been a fun one to stick on the end if he oh, becomes yeah. a, a stud in, in the interior. Yeah. A road oh man, that would be fun. I'm ready for Isaiah Floyd season. Yeah, imagine you're a poor CUSA linebacker, you know, scraping hard right to pick up an outside run and you see uh you see Isaiah pulling and barreling downhill at you. That's not a fun time. Nobody wants that. And I mean, when they run, whatever they have all sorts of, you know, O-line, D-line, pit each other in a circle kind of drill or up against yeah. line of scrimmage. Like when I'm when practice happens and people can hit each other, I want to say Isaiah Floyd, you know, go right horns up with the Braylon Carroll and just see who moves. Let's make it happen. Nobody. That might be the answer. <laughs> So I, I thought I, I closing thoughts. I think it's probably good. We both had quarterback at the top. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. I think it's pretty clear just the composition of our list that Rice has two two facets of Rice has a solid good component where a lot of players that we think are really good that, you know, probably aren't all conference players right now. Maybe they could be, but they're not definitely not right now. They're on that edge of like, I have no, no concerns with you going on the field. You're going right. to do your job and make guys some that we trust to be consistent performers. Exactly. Like I, you can definitely write them down as like, I am not scared when you're on the field. This is good. We weren't there a couple of years ago when we yeah, were no. rebuilding a roster with a handful of scholarships. So that this is good. And then there's another bucket of maybe 10 guys that we both agree. If rice can hit on, and maybe maybe it's not just hit, but if if we can have five of those ten take that step from nebulous to that same very good level, the team as a whole that the, the the tide rises. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it it's the 
the potential just just goes up so much like if you and 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 that i think was kind of the driving philosophy behind my list was like identifying the guys that can kind of make or break the season in terms of the ones whose development is critical to the outcome which i think is interesting i like i like that we have what an overlap of 7 out of 15 so we've hit <laughs> what is that 23 23 players yeah. we have seven yeah. separate <laughs> and then wait hold on carry the one if we each had seven the same then we each had eight different so 23 yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. right yeah that's good i did that i don't have my pen and paper out i mean <laughs> how very unrice of me but yeah definitely interesting I'm, I'm glad we we did this list and we and we got it together and then i'm i'm really interested we're, you know what's going to happen is we're going to hit stop and the first comment we get back is, how did you forget? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. How, how dare you? I mean, we only got a cursory mention of rocket science, rocket scientist Isaac Klarkowski, who learned his starting reps in a hotel room with the beds pushed back. Like, we could go longer, but we, we won't. For, for these purposes, I'm I'm, you know, we mentioned, I guess, to bring this full circle, we mentioned the roller coaster ride that this offseason has been on. And there will undoubtedly be some other major update by the time we, we get the next show out. I have no doubt. But again, talking real football and players. Starting That's to nice. feel a bit more optimistic. Yeah. yeah, starting to feel real. Hold me down. Where's my seatbelt? <laughs> Well, all right. We'll be back next week with whatever uh, earth-shattering updates and changes to college football schedules happen in between now and then. But uh, we will see you then. And Rice Fight! This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.